Welcome to the Board Gaming Doctor. Let's get into this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Board Gaming Doctor. My name is Phil, and I'll be your Board Game Doctor today. And in this episode, I'm going to review and highlight some of the games that I enjoyed the most and was looking forward to the most in the last month of March. It was a big month. Uh, it was my birthday month, and so I was able to not only acquire a few physical copies of some games, but also play them with some friends and co-workers. And so uh, hopefully I will get the chance to do that a little bit more often. And, you know, from before, I've only been able to offer my opinions based off of multiplayer experiences online, usually on BGA or through solo play, basically. But now I think I have enough friends garnered to come together and play some games in person, physically, and and so I can offer my opinions on that, in addition to the solo mode experiences that I have had hitherto. So let's get into the reviews for these two games. There was going to be a third game. Uh, I will briefly mention that Brazil Imperial is on the list, and I think I did mention that I would review it this month. However, I even though I've played it a couple of times, I am still unsure about what to say about it. And I want to play it again, give it some more thought, and come at you with a better, well-versed review um, by the time I speak about other games next month. And so, yeah, so I'm going to wait until that happens, and then uh, hopefully I'll, I'll have a few more plays under my belt to coherently talk about that game to the degree that I am hoping to, because that was my most anticipated game from last year during the convention season. So with that said, let's get into the reviews of these other games that I do own and I've been able to play solo. Well, the first game solo and at multiplier multiplayer as well. And the first is Mosaic, a story of civilization. This game is brought to you by Glenn Rover and Forbidden Games. So as a quick overview, I don't want to get into a lot of the rules. Um, the mechanisms that stood out to me, I will dissect during the review portion. But just as an overview, if you haven't heard about this game yet, I hopefully you have, but uh, Mosaic is a civilization-themed game. I believe it plays up to six players, uh, two to six, with a solo mode as well. And you basically have a map of ancient, uh, you know, Europe, Middle East and and Asia, or sorry, middle uh, Mediterranean, uh, around that area, and you are on your turn taking actions to basically put buildings onto this map, military units onto this map as well, acquire technology cards, uh, and. You're using technologies and resources to purchase uh, these, you know, resources and, and, and buildings and things like that, but also wonders. Uh, you're racing to get achievements as well. And you're basically doing a lot of these civilization-themed um, things and mechanisms in about two hours or so. Uh, and so, yeah, so it's, it's a basically a condensed civilization-themed game. Um, if you have played Civilization-themed games or Civilization games from the past, uh, I have personally not played some of these games like Civilization or Advanced Civ that do take 
half a day to a day to play. Um, those are epic experiences that I've that are on my bucket list to eventually take care of. But this to me was something that I felt like I would be interested in for a couple of reasons. Uh, I was really interested uh, a few years ago when Tapestry came out, and I do enjoy the game. I've reviewed Tapestry on this podcast. I gave it a 7 out of 10, and that remains so, because although it does offer a civilization-themed experience, the mechanisms by which it was abstracted and portrayed didn't quite catch my attention and liking enough to bump it up to some game, to a, to a level that would allow me to rate it at like an 8 out of 10 and, and be one of my favorite games. I do really enjoy Through the Ages as well. Uh, a very fun game, card-based civilization game that takes out the map but includes the element of strategic mastery through knowing the deck of cards that you play, um, having the variability of which cards come out at what time with a kind of a, a long, you know, action point uh, themed uh, turn that you're taking, which can lead to a lot of analysis paralysis and to long games in general, maybe about two to three hours or so. So, uh, and of course that game is available dig digitally and through Board Game Arena. And so that has been my go-to civilization game for a while until I learned about Mosaic. So one of the things that drew me to Mosaic was the card play. So while I did talk about in the overview of having this board in front of you, <clears throat> the way that you do take your actions, and you only take one action on your turn, is you cho basically choose um, one of four or five decks to basically take actions from, in addition to potentially just taking an action to gain resources in order to spend them later. So... Um, so you have a deck of cards where you can choose from a market of available cards, very similarly themed. For example, um, one of these decks is the build deck, where you build cities or towns or ports from. Um, you can always do it for a, a standard cost if none of the buildings appeal to you, but you look at the five or so buildings in front of you, and you can choose one to build, which may give you a perk as well that is individual to that card. And so the buildings, the technologies, uh, you have a deck for population as well as for um, gaining money through tax and tariffs. Uh, and so I believe that's those are all of the decks that are available. And so um, one, you know, there's a lot of different cards in this game. They come out in different orders, especially the technology card deck, which is maybe 200 cards or so, maybe, you know, give or take 50. So there's a lot of variety in that deck, a lot of variability. A lot of those technologies give you individual powers and allow you to you know, alter the game in a certain way or become more efficient. But they also include a lot of icons on them that you are collecting. And it's the icon collection system that is often seen in games like Terraforming Mars, Ark Nova, um, and some others as well. And so that that type of gameplay is appealing to me. Having a tableau of cards in front of you that you're collecting icons from, kind of developing your own quote-unquote personal power throughout the game um, as your civilization grows is something that is very appealing to me. And so Mosaic offered that, and at the, at the um, not cost, but 
uh, at the uh, for the sake of you know playing this in two hours or so is was something that even appealed to me more. And with it, a solo game designed by David Turksey as well. Um, it, this was something that was very high, and I, bre- I mentioned this as well. This is, I think, my number two game that I was most excited about, besides Brazil Imperial. And so I was able to purchase this game and play it. I have the retail edition, and so I don't have the other editions, like the Colossal Edition that was offered through Kickstarter, which offered, you know, little miniatures and and extra bits and things like that. And I think one ding that I do have with this retail version, which I am grateful for, um, having the opportunity to purchase this game at a reasonable price uh, for the amount of components that you do get in this game, I do wish that there was a couple of things that are missing, such as the solo mode. Uh, this is, The solo mode is not included in this game. And I was able to play this based off of a low-ink PDF version of someone who basically copied the cards um, or interpreted the cards, I guess, in the way that was, um, you know, from videos and things like that, uh, just to be able to to play it. The, the rules for the solo mode are online anyway. But, so that's missing from the game. Uh, the, you know, the components, of course, are pretty much all cardboard, and, and that's totally fine by me. But there's no way to keep track of your score throughout the game. Um, and I guess I could mention in, in this overview, too. So while you're taking these actions, uh, you're basically going around and around, taking cards from the deck, putting them into into your tableau, refreshing the market until you flip over an Empire scoring card from one of these four decks that I've mentioned. Once you flip over the third one from you know one deck, each deck has one of these Empire scoring cards. Then the game ends, and you do you know final end game scoring as well. The Empire scoring basically scores however uh, you know many regions you have control over in the board, and I'll talk about why I like that aspect of the game as well. But uh, anyway, so while you're scoring these you know mid-game points, you, you get a boatless of points um, throughout the game. There's nothing to keep track of that in the retail version. And so in the rule book, it says to take out a you know piece of paper and pen or write it on your phone and keep track of your score there, which is doable, but uh, not at the same standard as pretty much any other game, which offers some way to keep track of a score naturally through the game, whether it's around the board or otherwise. And so, so that was lacking. And I don't know why they seemed, you know, they deemed it necessary to cut some of those elements, which I know are in the colossal edition and Kickstarter editions. Um, it, it, it makes the experience a little bit less. However, I think it was worth it. And I am grateful that I've been able to play and own this game at a lower cost point, regardless of these, um, the lack of these components. Anyway, here's what I do like about the game. I, I like how quick this game actually is. And so with the one, I mean, this is one play that I've had. Uh, I will say that there are, there were, you know, people in the game, and it was our first game anyway, um, playing together. I, actually, it was my third game, I believe. Um, and it was their first time and I taught them. So there was a lot of learning, a lot of pausing and natural analysis paralysis during this learning game. 
However, we did end up being able to play this game <clears throat> in between an hour and a half to two hours, even with the teach, uh, not counting the setup. And that's one of, you know, ding is that the setup is kind of quite cumbersome to seed the board with the trade goods that you can acquire when you build onto those hexes. And so there's, a, you know, an aspect of collecting those during the game. And so the actual turns that you're taking are super quick. You either gain resources of a certain kind, food, stone, um, uh, population. Well, you have to like acquire population through one of the cards, but uh, food, stone, and ideas, right? And so you either increase your amount based off of the um, production that you have, very similar to Terraforming Mars, where you are acquiring cards to up the production level of those certain resources. So when you do gain them, you gain that certain amount plus extra. And don't I don't need to go into that. But you either just take resources or you just ba basically purchase a card from one of the markets available, do the action, and you go ahead and uh, play that in your tableau, resolve the effect, move on to the next player. You can also purchase a wonder or um, some other things that you can do as well. But so So you basically have eight options to take on your turn. You just take one of them and you move on. And they're very quick, very easy to to grasp. And just from my experience, it was pretty straightforward and easy, relatively easy to teach this to my friends. And they were able to grab, grasp it and enjoy the game without having to refer to a lot of rules. To switch over to that too, that did remind me that there were a few edge cases that we even ran into with our third game, or with this learning game, my third game, where certain um, you know card texts or abilities were not made clear based off of the text on the card, nor was there any explanation of that in the rulebook or glossary, and so there there was a lot of you know there was more opportunities to have to go to like board game geek to get clarification which does slow down the experience and you would wish that that was addressed in an easier fashion whether that's in the appendix or with a published you know errata or faq and so there was that as well uh, and there probably is an element to that i haven't seen yet that there are a couple of cards out there that have edge cases that people probably have already asked on Board Game Geek about. And while that answer potentially is there, it is a hassle to have to go onto it and, and search that because it's not the most, um, uh, it's not the easiest thing to search in, in Board Game Geek. But anyway, so back to more things that I like about this game. So the way that the Empire scoring works and the, the way that you control different areas of the map on this board is basically area majority and or area control, right? I really enjoyed this system. I think this was a clever way to approach the civilization-themed aspect of combat and military might and strength without having the luck-based factor of rolling dice or doing something to attack other people to gain control and the fact of, well, if you do attack and you roll unluckily, or you don't have enough resources to win a certain match for whatever reason, then you completely lose those those uh, resources and they are removed permanently from the game or, or so. And it takes a long time to reestablish yourself with that same power 
later on, it really sets you back and it really hurts, right? There are some, I mean, civilization games, you know, it, it mirrors real life. It mirrors history. And so I get it, you know, games like, you know, war themed games where this is a thing, you know, totally fine. Uh, but I, I really appreciate it in this game. And I think that kind of leads to it being a quick game is that, you, the, I mean, there are a few cards which will allow you to take some components off of the board and, you know, give it to your, um, you know, take opponents pieces off the board and things like that. But it's very, it's relatively a few, you know, there aren't a lot of ways to do that. You're basically just adding and adding more and more and competing for all of these different areas that you're trying to win the majority in, in time to score the empire scoring, which gives you a nice chunk of points before the end game scoring. And so I like that aspect because I, I feel safer trying to fight for areas, not having to worry too much about um, my compo- my military or the cities or things like that being raised or defeated and being removed from the game. And it's relatively easy too. Uh, you spend you can spend money on your turn to build military units, but also to move them around the map to adjacent areas. And so it's really easy to pivot and say, hey, you know, I'm not winning this area anymore. I don't think I will. I'm just going to move my military units to this area and fight for that. And so I liked that flexibility of being able to do so without the risk and fear of losing them completely and having to rebuild them through, um, you know, having a lot of work being taken away from you, basically. And so I really enjoyed that aspect of the game. And the also, the, you know, the empire scoring aspect of this game, too. Um, you know, having to mill through these decks and take cards from the build stack and from the technology stack as well to get to an empire scoring offers that uncertainty that I do appreciate in this game. It's like, you know, when when am I going to flip over this this empire scoring? Either, yeah, I want to, I know I'm in the lead, I'm doing really well, I really want to speed up the end of the game and get scoring while I still have control of these areas and have all of these points. Uh, but then sometimes it's like, no, I, I need to um, wait, I need to stall, and I won't take any uh, cards from this deck and try to gain other points elsewhere so I can maybe match those who are ahead or gain, you know, further, uh, further steps ahead of them. In addition to like in our game that we played, we had two empire scoring cards come up relatively next to each other. And so the third one we knew that we would probably get to was, was either in the technology deck or the, uh, pop, not yeah the population deck. And so <laughs> we were taking technologies back and forth because we knew that there was only one more scoring card to come out and we we finally felt the pressure of oh shoot you know this person's in the lead we need to match them and and really think about how much uh, area majority that we have and and control of these different areas on the map and so it to me at least it was kind of that nice you know board game tension of of racing to get technologies first and to build up military units and to move them into the right spots so when that last Empire scoring card came out, I would be able to, you know, get uh, enough control over areas to potentially make up for the lack that I had in rounds past. And so I really enjoyed that tension in that race. And there's also races to get milestones and achievements, very similar to, once again, to Terraforming Mars. Races to get to certain wonders first to build them. 
races to get to technology cards as well. All the while balancing the tension of of ending the game on your terms, um, cycling through the cards to get to uh, the Empire scoring cards first, or to grab the en- enough achievements. Um, the other way to end the game is to completely take all of the achievements. Uh, there are three different types, or two different types, Golden Ages and um, Civilization Achievements, as well as the Wonder, um, all the Wonders there. If you com- you know complete and everyone takes the entire row for, for two out of those three, then you can end the game as well. But so, yeah, so there's a lot of different races that you have and all of these options feel good and they feel um, doable and feasible. It doesn't take too long to work your way up to enough resources to pull off a big combo to get that technology card that completes your set and your puzzle to allow you to engage in a certain strategy. There are a lot of different strategies that you can pursue as well, which I find enjoyable. You can, you know, of course, focus on getting enough military and um, city tiles and ports onto the board to control those, but you can also seek to get points from getting, you know, trade goods and 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 get, you know, getting a lot of money uh, through tax and tariffs. You can really push hard to get, you know, icon collection to collect those achievements, golden age cards as well. Uh, you can look to try to get a lot of wonders, which I was able to do. And, and I kind of focused on getting a lot of wonders and playing around those to supplement the points that I was getting on the board. It does feel like there are many different good avenues of strategy that you can take. And a lot of that can be dictated at first based off of the initial board state, as well as your personal leader. And it's fun to kind of follow that, but it's really fun to also react to the cards as they come out in different sets and in different orders and to adapt to the strategies that other people are taking based off of those cards as well, which is something that I like about my favorite game, Agricola, where there is definitely a set strategy that you embark on based off of the draft of cards that you have at the beginning of the game, but you're also adapting to the way the rounds are popping out and what people are doing and responding to what is available on the board in a tactful way. And so this game offers that. And I like that. I like the variety of course in the cards and that adds to the replayability to me. And then finally the solo mode. I, you know, even though David Turksey is a renowned solo game artist and designer, I have tried a few of a few of his iterations on games such as Barrage uh, and others. Um, Imperium is another game that I tried as well. And while they make thematic sense and they do offer the opportunity to play against an AI that feels like another opponent, a uh, real life human opponent, they they tend to be a little bit more intensive, and you do have to learn basically a new game to utilize this AI component uh, opponent and to make it feel, you know, realistic. And so it it does take a lot of time and effort to understand the rules and to implement them. And that can take away from some of the time and brain power that you would use on your turn to focus on your strategy. In this game, I felt like the solo mode was very streamlined and perhaps on the lighter end of David Turksey's designs. I felt like the so you basically have two decks. One deck, you flip over a card, it tells you what action the opponent takes, and you perform the action. 
um, very similar to like, well, you know, uh, you want to build a building. Okay. Uh, where do you build a building? Well, follow these steps and you do it. So, and so that is fine, you know, um, and you also have a location deck. So it's like, okay, which region will I build in? Okay. I flip this over and it tells me I can build in Greece or, you know, Italy, et cetera. And so it was somewhat straightforward, you know, to learn how these cards work. And, you know, it does take maybe a game or so to really understand them. But once you do, it just clicks and it just flows. And it feels really good, too. And I feel like it's really balanced to allow for this opponent to spread out into different areas of the board and to fight for the Empire scoring cards as a real human would. And so I find that I found that really enjoyable. And after a few hands, it, it felt very natural to flip over the um, the opponent, the AI's uh, cards and to, to take the actions. They were they were quick. And so I was able to get back to my turn, which were, you know, those are quick actions as well. And so it did mimic the quickness that I think is evident in a multiplayer game with humans. And so I really enjoyed the solo mode here, and, and it helps me want to play this game more solo to explore it, in addition to playing it with other people as well. So yeah, I really appreciated that. And so this game is a solid 8 out of 10 for me right now, I'll just say. I, it's likely going to go up with more plays. It's relatively quick. It's easy to learn. Um, there are you know components that are missing that do make it harder to, to play. It's not as smooth. There are things missing from the rulebook that I would wish are there. And it, you know, it and and some of the other things that I mentioned before too. Like, but but for me, this is probably my go-to civilization game right now. It's gonna be the easier one to for me to pull out with other people that I want to play. Um, it's got the card play and tableau building and icon collection that I love in games such as Ark Nova and Terraforming Mars that I've really come to enjoy. And so it's offering all of that packaged with a civilization themed game that does feel like it's a good abstraction that it does make a good thematic tie in as well uh, with the area majority and kind of technology tree and, and building up your civilization's asymmetric personalized powers. And so eight out of 10 for me, solid game. I can overlook the things that perhaps drag it down a little bit component wise uh, for it. Um, for the gameplay itself and the mechanisms thereof. And I do want to play this more, and I probably will. <laughs> so let's now move on to War of the Ring, the card game. Once again, another game on my list from Essen and Gen Con that I wanted to play, and now have had the opportunity to do so, and I'm glad that I did. So War of the Ring, the, the card game, is the card game iteration of the War of the Ring board game, which came out maybe about 10 years ago or so, and is a two-player replica of the entire trilogy of Lord of the Rings, and playing out the scenario in a way that allows for you know certain nuances to happen to, and to kind of retell your story of Lord of the Rings through a lot of army management, you know, troops on a map type of play. There's some card play as well. And some a lot of, I guess, thematic tie-ins to how these cards and troops and things like that work, where you're also controlling individual characters on the board as well. Now, I say that, and that's all I'm going to say about War of the Ring, the board game, because I've never played it. 
I've always been interested in it. And I will say that I've always been interested in this IP. I love Lord of the Rings. It was one of those movies. It's probably my favorite movie of all time. The the three movies, I should say. Um, and I, I love other games that I've played in it. You know, video games back in the day, of course, when the movies came out. Um, I, I remember the real-time strategy game for the PC. Uh, that's probably 20 years old or so. And... Also, Lord of the Rings, the card game was one of the first games that I really got into and collected. And I have a few of the expansions for that. Uh, Really fun game. Uh, I'll I'll probably talk about it at some point on the podcast, but that kind of leads me to this game where it's taking the the same approach as War of the Ring, which is also uh, published by the same uh, company where you are retelling the story of the trilogy, but with certain nuances that make it feel unique and a little bit different. And you can retell the story your own way. But it does so in a condensed version with cards only, and it probably does so in about half the time or so. And so as an overview in this game, you are playing either the, I'll just say the good guys or the bad guys, right? Um, The good guys are separated into two different decks. Uh, for example, like the elves and the the Dunedain and the men, uh, the men of the West are like all connected into one deck. And then like the hobbits, dwarves and the free people are in the other deck. Right. And so if you're playing with four people, two of them are going to control the good guys and two of them are going to control the bad guys. One of them, one is Sauron and the Nazgul. The other is basically Saruman and monsters and things like that. And you go around the game, the the table, taking turns. Uh, you draw your hand size of cards, and uh, on your turn, you play cards by uh, a very similar mechanism to Marble Champions, uh, the card living card game by Fantasy Flight, where you discard cards from your hand in order to play cards uh, from your hand. And so, those are the resources that you're spending to play those cards. And so, you have that decision space of, you know, which cards do I discard right now to, in order to play certain cards now. Um, when you do discard them, they go into your cycle deck, which is your regular discard deck. And, and so you can cycle through your deck, reshuffle your cards, and then draw them and be able to play them later on. And so once you discard a card, that's not gone forever. But there are ways to exile a card or forsake them in, the, in this game. And, and so they can't enter play. And so you're playing cards in this way. You're basically playing these cards in front of you or towards uh, two different locations, right? You have battlegrounds and you have pathways. The pathways are the more individualized encounters, such as the Nazgul, Chase and Frodo and company, Weathertop, etc. Uh, the Mines of Moria. And then the battlegrounds are the big uh, scenes from the books, like Helm's Deep, Minas Tirith, where big armies are coming together to battle for those locations. And so it's really cool that you're playing these different scenarios side by side, which occur during the book. You know, a lot of things are happening at the same time, big events, small events, and you're playing these cards to win the location based off of icons, attack and defense icons on these cards. You're utilizing these cards for special abilities that they have as well, which are, in my opinion, very thematic central and they do make sense um, a lot of them you know say like for example aragorn right you have or strider uh, you can play strider in a certain way but 
Um, as soon as you have played Aragorn, then you have to exile Strider because he's not Strider anymore. He's he's turned into, you know, he's revealed himself as the king. And so a lot of these, you know, Gandalf the Grey to Gandalf the White, they, they do follow a lot of these similarities and they thematically make sense. Um, and so that's really fun and I think really clever that they were able to pull that off and kind of keep that... Um, <clears throat> that same approach as they did with War of the Ring. Now, I like the the simplicity of the rules as well, where you're basically just playing these cards to these locations, you're trying to win them, and you gain points as you do so. If you ever, you know, get if you get to all the locations and pathways in an established game, whoever has the most points wins. Or if you if you have ten more points than your opponents or opponent, then you win. And so relatively straightforward, it was easy to grasp is I, I could teach the game in a couple of minutes, well, like 15 minutes or 20 minutes or so uh, to my friends who were playing with me at the time. And so I, I appreciated that. The one thing that I am afraid of is that War of the Ring may become or feel samey. I was able to cycle through my deck. I In this particular game that I played, I was Sauron and the Nazgul, and so I was able to get through my deck twice, and we hadn't even finished the game completely. And so I was able to at least learn and be familiar with most of the cards in my deck by the end of the game, such that if I were to play it again, everything would be very similar uh, and feel, um, feel you know, I, I would be able to remember what they were. And so to me, the the aspect of like, oh, you know, what, what could pop up? I might see something new in this game that I find in other card games, such as Ark Nova and Wingspan. Earth is another game uh, that, there, you know, there's just so many different cards and you're not going to see all of those cards in your game that that element of surprise and the unknown is lost, right? And so for some, that may that may be a downside. And for me, that is something that does draw it back a little bit. That element of exploration uh, through these decks, you know, of course, I would obviously get a lot of replayability from trying out some of the other decks that I wasn't able to play with. But by the end of this game, I had basically seen the cards from my opponents as well and, and my my um, companion uh, who was playing the monsters and Saruman as well. And so it, it feels very similar to Lord of the Rings, the card game where you do play a scenario Maybe you don't win it, you know, at the first time, but you do get very close. And so, you know, it's fun to try a scenario and try it, you know, to tactfully and strategically try to accomplish that mission. But if you lose and you want to try it and beat it again, you kind of know what is coming up and you can plan ahead. And to me, some of those scenario based experiences aren't as fun the second time through or third time, Um, you know, I there was a day when I was, you know, would play video games to play it over and over again to try to beat the boss over and over again and and to master the same thing over and over again but that's something that I'm not as interested in anymore in 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 a scenario based narrative type of fashion uh which I feel like is different than a puzzle uh euro game that you're trying to solve you know and become more efficient at so so there is that element uh there is a little bit of very variation in which paths come out when uh, you can choose like one of the three different paths at certain uh, spots in the book as it progresses. And so you get to, you know, 
have that var- uh, variety as well. And there are uh, plenty of locations that you can go, battlegrounds that you can go to as well, that could come out in different uh, at different times as well. But the limited decks that you have here is strictly limited, and you do get to see them uh, completely. But at the same, you know, on the flip side, games such as Race for the Galaxy and Twilight Struggle offer this where you do get to learn these decks and you get to learn the nuances of these cards and how they work individually and with each other. And when should you play these cards? And, you know, they may be more effective if you play them later in the game rather than at first and because it makes thematic sense, right? So some of the cards, for example, like the the Nazgul, you can see them, you know, at the beginning of the game a lot heavier because they are the ones chasing Frodo in the Shire and, and elsewhere. And they do come back stronger at the end of the game as well when things are coming to a a, a climax in Minas Tirith and, and at the at the gates of Mordor. And so there are a lot of... So there's an opportunity to really learn these cards. And if, if that is your goal, then this game is really nice because you do get to go through your cards relatively quick, even in one game. And so the the element of really mastering these cards is, in my opinion, more achievable in a lesser amount of time than games such as Twilight Struggle or, uh, you know, some of these other games that have a pretty thick deck and a pretty, you know, complex rule system and, and mechanisms that really can be over the head of some people who are not used to those types of games and who do not have as much experience or interest in in the subject matter in war type games or in that complexity uh, in, the, in the decisions that you're making. And so War of the Ring kind of bridges the gap between these two, making a relatively simple and straightforward rule set and decks to master while allowing for that mastery to take place. And with repetition, you can really learn a deck quick and fast. And that will open the, open the gates to a different style of play where people do know these decks well enough that they can um, predict what some, you know, players may play and, you know, do they, you know, you can bluff and say, hey, maybe these players do have this card that is very efficient and and timely at this point of the game in the early game, or maybe it's in their deck and they, they don't have the opportunity to do so. And so that's where the cycling comes in to play too. You know, some cards which aren't good at the beginning of the game, you can cycle and use them as resources to play cards that are good and hopefully get them back later in the game at a certain time that makes more sense and that makes them makes that card even better to be played. And so so I do look forward to the mastery of this game. Uh, the question for me is, will I have time to do so? I think, you know, groups of people who want to make War of the Ring a more of a lifestyle game uh, will have that opportunity to master this game and really get into the nitty gritty of it very similar to how I think people would approach War of the Ring, the board game, as. And so so I like that element. It appeals to me. But for me, not only, I mean, not just for this podcast and being able to provide a variety of, of games for review, but just in general, too, if, even if I wasn't doing the podcast, I would still want to play different games and explore the the richness of this hobby to see if there is a another game out there that really speaks to me that surprises me and with all the games that are coming out as well games that i know that i will love um, i want to bring those to the table i want to play some of the other games that are on my shelf as well and so the opportunity to really dive into war of the ring 
um, diminishes and, and thins with the more opportunities to play other games as well. And so if there's a game that can offer, you know, a, a, a really fun experience one time and, and offer the opportunity to dive into it, perhaps digitally as well as, you know, I'm going to, in my circumstances right now, I'm going to put more weight into games that I can play digitally and really, you know, have the time to take turns asynchronously and dive into a game bits with bits and pieces rather than as a full on course meal at, through multiple game nights, you know, such as is the case with War of the Ring, the card game right now for me. And so I give this game a seven out of 10. It's really enjoyable. I loved <clears throat> seeing the different cards, all the iconic characters come out at different times. Be like, oh, you know, this is really cool. You know, I, it was cool to see how they interacted with their own deck and how they interacted with the opposite decks as well. It was just really fun to discover a lot of these cards. But now that that discovery is diminished, now that I've pretty much seen all these cards and kind of have an idea of what they do, now, you know, is the question that I face is, am I excited to bring this out again? And I think I would be for a couple more games, but, and, and I probably will keep this just for the sake of the IP alone and for potentially one, you know, opportunity later on in life when things may come, become a little less hectic and I have the opportunity to, to be more, um, uh, repetitive with some of these component, these, uh, physical games that I have. Uh, maybe I'll have the opportunity to dive into it. I know that there is a treasure of decisions and opportunities in this game that are similar to War of the Ring, the board game, but offer it in a card-based version that is quicker to play and simpler to play as well. But uh, for now, I don't have that opportunity. If this does become a digital game at some point, then I think I will have an easier time entering into that decision space and, and exploring this game even more. Um, and and you can explore different decks. You know you can really hone in on one deck and play it over and over again, and then feel satisfied and then move on to a different deck. Very similar to like how Root Root would would play, and you would really dive into one faction, learn its in, ins and outs, become efficient, and then explore a new faction the next time. And there is replayability in that sense, right? But uh, for me, yeah, the the re, that replayability right now in this moment in my life is not going to happen anytime soon. And so it's going to remain a 7 out of 10 for me for now and uh, would move up if I potentially would move up if I do enjoy the the nuances that come through repetitive play later on when I get the chance. All right, I think that wraps up my thoughts on these two games, these two highly anticipated games, Mosaic, A Story of Civilization, 8 out of, eight out of 10 for me, and War of the Ring, the card game, 7 out of 10 for me. Uh, if you enjoyed this, uh, go ahead and leave a comment. I, I've thrown in a couple of polls into the blog post where I will post the link to this podcast if you see it there. Uh, you know, which games, which which of these two games do you like the most, uh, Mosaic or War of the Ring? Let me know. And I'll also throw in a poll for some games that I intend on playing uh, this next month of April. I want to know from you which ones I should prioritize, whether you want to hear about it more or if you have a strong opinion about that game and you want to see it played, you should go ahead and, and vote for that. Uh, I'll you know vote for a game that I should play for the first time and review uh, for, for this upcoming month of April, or also some games that I'm pretty close to achieving 10 plays of that I just need to bridge the gap a little bit further so I can provide a, a full diagnose, diagnostic review 
of a game after 10 plays, which is my metric for a, you know, a good review. Uh, system. So if if you want to do that, you know, go go to Board Game Geek and vote for your favorite game or which games you want to hear about. Uh, leave a comment with any feedback or suggestions or uh, what, you know, your thoughts on these games as well. I appreciate it and look forward to communicating and interacting with you there. But that's it for now. Uh, my name is Phil. I hope you schedule an appointment with your board game doctor real soon and I'll catch you on the next one.